The beginning and end of everything is love. Another way to say this is, everything begins and ends out of love. Love is at the beginning of everything. Love is what's left after everything is gone. Love is before it all and through it all and after it all. Love is eternal. Now I can say all of this and I can know all of this in my mind because of what I believe and what I think about God. For me, and I hope you'll grapple with this too because it is straight from Scripture and it makes the most absolute sense to me as a person who reasons their faith. For me, God is love. So everything that comes from God is also love. And since God is eternal, love is eternal. Love is before it all and through it all and after it all. Love is at the beginning of everything. And love is what's left after everything else is gone. Everything begins and ends out of love because everything begins and ends with God. And since God is eternal, love is eternal. If this is a little head-splitting for you, you can thank 1 John for that. This little book at the end of the Bible is all about what we can and should think about God. And then it's about our response to that idea of God. And I don't think I can say this enough. This little book is all about what we can and should think about God. But then our response to that idea of God. Both parts matter. And this little book gives us three beautiful metaphors for thinking about God. God is light, love, and life. And therefore, there are three ways for us to respond. And so we've been going through each of these in this sermon series, and we're just scratching the surface, really. There are tons more ways to discuss who God is than just these three ideas. I mean, entire PhD dissertations are dedicated to discerning if God is open and relational, or if there's only a closed system of limited possibilities. And we start asking questions of how much control does God enforce in the world? Where's the line between predestination and free will? Can you do something that exists beyond God's knowing? When you start asking these types of questions, God talk gets complicated fast. For instance, the late Wolfhart Pannenberg, who died just a few years ago, he argued that Jesus is God's future in the past. Now that is mind-numbing. <laughs> but it makes sense when you break it apart. Jesus is God's future in the past. Think of it like this. God exists outside of time, beyond time, separate to time. Here's time, here's God. God sends Jesus back into time, which is God's past. Since God is ahead of time, Jesus lives in our present to show us signs of God's future. Jesus is God's future manifested, but living in God's past, which is our present. Got it? And this is just one way to talk about God. There are so many more. For instance, a lot of time people say God is immutable. You probably heard that. The idea that God can't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, inflexible, unchanging, immutable. Well, that thought is really influenced 
by the philosophical idea of Platonic forms. Plato said there were original forms to everything. A chair has an essential form. You have one too. Everything at its essence carries with it an immutable, unchanging form. This Platonic worldview revolutionized the way we talk about God. So much so, I'd argue that our theology of God is based as much on Plato as it is the Bible. It's that influential. God, in this Plato line of thinking, is the ultimate, most essential, immutable, unchanging, and unflexible form. But was Plato right? Is there an ultimate form to God? It's hard to know, since God is unknowable. Now, I could go on and on, but I just want to stop and say this. When we wrestle with these big ideas, everything is game. You can question and discern, critique and probe. You can analyze and realign all you want. Because when it comes to God, it's all metaphor. God is unknowable. So whatever we come up with, it's going to fall short to the unknowable truth of God. Because God is always more. Recently at home, we've gotten into a rhythm of shooting basketball outside before going to bed. The rule is when shooting hoops that if you make the shot, you get your change. You get it back to shoot again. There's another rule that you end your night on a make. You hit your last shot before going to bed. Well, when trying to convince a seven-year-old boy that it's bedtime, these two rules really compete with one another. My son makes the shot. He wants his change back. I say, okay, last shot. He misses. He gets another because you have to end on a make. And then he hits it, so he wants his change. Our rules for shooting hoops endlessly loop and it always ends with one more shot which usually ends up in a bit of frustration and just me taking the ball and forcing everyone to go inside because the rules fall short they work most of the time but when pushed to the limits they break the same is true for god god is always one more shot one more thought something else something beyond our rules and our rules eventually fall short. So what we need in the midst of all of this is something good and sturdy to hold on to. Because when it comes to God talk, the waters get choppy. And we need something to anchor us and hold us and to help us navigate these waters. And this early Johannine church is up to the challenge to help us do just that. They don't sidestep or belittle the conversation of who God is. They engage it, and they decide on three central metaphors for God. Light, love, and life. But remember, this little book is also about our response to these thoughts. So since God is light, our job is to be people who remain in the light and reflect the light and shine the light for others to see. And because God is love, our job is to reflect that love and absorb that love and to show that love and to share that love with one another. But even these constructs are big. They are almost platonic forms in and of themselves. So we still need something smaller, something more direct, more tangible, something that looks like God, but it is admittedly not. Something we can point to and hold on to, like a road sign that tells us we're going the right way. We're headed towards God. It's leading us in the right direction. But admittedly, the sign is not the destination. It's just pointing us to it. 
We need something smaller if we're going to entertain this big concept of the form of God. And 1 John 5 gives us just that. Verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. And there it is. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, everyone who looks and believes in and follows Jesus, is born of God. For this early church, Jesus is the anchor that sturdies us towards God. For this community of faith, and this really matters, to know God and to have access to God, to begin to peel back the layers of the divine human relationship, then we need to look to Jesus as the Christ. This matters. The clearest, most straightforward path to the God of the universe is through Jesus as the Christ. Believing in Jesus helps us see we are born of God. But remember, it's never just about believing for 1 John. There's always a response, a next step, and that's verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. There's always a step two with 1 John. You have this notion of God, and then there's the response to it. God is light, we are light. God is love, we are love. If you want to know God, look to Christ. If you look to Christ, you follow His commandments. Verses 3 and 4. For the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. There is such hope and passion in these verses. If you follow Jesus, you're introduced to God. And you realize you're born of God. Which is, all of this is wrapped in this whole concept of faith. And it's that kind of faith that sets you free, gives you the victory that conquers the world. Faith in Christ leads to God and brings you into God's good future. Are there other things that can lead you to God? Yes, surely there are. But that's not 1 John's primary concern. There are all kinds of ways to get to God and to interact and engage with the divine. So don't be so quick to make 1 John into an exclusionary text, but rather see that they're grabbing hold of a road sign that points them to God. And for them and for us, Jesus is the clearest, most effective, and assured path to God. You claim Jesus is Lord, you get to God. And when you get to God, you experience eternal love. And when you experience eternal love, you're compelled to follow Christ's commandments, which allows you to love one another. And when you start sharing love eternal, you realize perhaps the deepest, most essential truth of all, that we're all born from God. And since God's love is eternal, the beginning and end of everything is love. Love is before it all through it all and after it all. And we can experience and share this love when we follow the life and actions and teachings of Jesus. Now, if all of this is clear as mud, 
Just remember, God is love. And when you follow Jesus, you get entangled into this eternal love too.